Chapter 9, How to Prepare to Pray. Together producing lukewarm temperatures, and this is about our zeal. First, because God moved on John to write these things to us, we can say this is God's view for us, the Christian, or for our lives. This is God expressing himself, and as I may say, it will take a heart-to-heart, a deep-to-deep lifestyle adjustment for anyone to become on fire for God's kingdom, and also to stay on fire with God. Preparing to pray is to be filling your heart with God things, which will keep us alert, keep us awake, and keep us focused upon Him and His kingdom. Our focus as from these Revelation verses cannot be on riches or money, or on earthly things even. Of course, God in His written word tells us He wants to fill up our needs, like Philippians 4.19 tells us. But this verse in Philippians And its truth being expressed here in Philippians is still stating that we are giving towards God's kingdom things. And this is a word-focused faith idea. How God supplies or fills up our needs, or these needs stated here, is following us giving to Him and His kingdom needs. Not us striving to be naturally rich or even to appear a certain way by the possessions we can have around us. Money is not the point, and money can be very deceptive things in people's lives. Money is not the Christian's emphasis. It never has been. Focusing on God's things, his plan of the gospel, or being established in holiness and faith and love in our hearts, when we are talking about prayer, which we have already proven to be a very important kingdom principle, keep the kingdom of God your focus, not what the kingdom can give to you so much. Your zeal is at stake. Your zeal is at risk. Don't wager with your zeal for God. Purpose to develop your zeal and your fire for God. Pay the price to be close to God. You can look around the world and see many mountains that once spewed lava. I once stood upon the very place where the spout of an old volcano was. No heat, not even a sign of smoke. And maybe at the core of this mountain, there was some heat. And at best, this mountain would be called dormant, not on fire, not any smoke, and definitely not functioning, or I would not be here to tell you the story. Let us hear the words of God in the last message sent to the church. Pay the price to be close to God. Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich. Being close to God will take diligence and effort. Diligence and effort, the quality of diligence and effort. Second Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Second Timothy 3.15 Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Second Peter 1.10, God's word tells us that we need diligence to make sure that we never fall or fail. In 2 Timothy 2.15, if we were to look closer to this verse, we would see this same idea of diligence stands here also. The Greek word beneath this phrase, spudasin, the aorist, imperative, active, second-person singular verb, coming from the Greek word spudazo, and it is the Greek verb to be earnest or be diligent. In this context of 2 Timothy 2.15, the verb here in this sentence being this word, the aorist imperative, the second person singular, this verb meaning you exercise diligence now. It is an imperative, it is a command. 
It is a command, and again, the command to be diligent now. It's an aorist mood. This verse would sound like this. EBM, you exercise diligence now to present yourself to God, an approved person, a workman not ashamed, rightly cutting the word of truth. God focused. Without exercising or developing diligence, we will not be focused on God. All the good intentions of the world can be there, but we must engage in diligence. If not, we will start a process of falling or failing, or at least slipping from our stand in God. Being eager is like someone having the desire to eat, but expressing diligence is more like constantly, persistently eating with purpose. This idea of a constant effort with accuracy needs to be in the Christian lifestyle. We all do stop and eat, but do we eat with purpose? Do we think about what we're eating? Everyone needs to eat to maintain their body's health. But if you wanted to be a bodybuilder and have muscles, would you eat with purpose? But as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, and commands Timothy, and of course the body of Christ also, to be exercising diligence, this will cause us to be approved. Or you can say, prove we are God's workmen or active in the kingdom of God. Functioning is another way to say it. When we are being diligent, we are putting forth a focused effort in the things of God. In my day, we used to call it staying on course, or the quality or the motivating force which can keep us on course. And without focus, staying on course is going to be very hard. Notice Colossians 3, 1-4. If you then are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. God tells us here in these verses in Colossians how to be focused. Much of the body of Christ knows and have heard that we are new creations. But there is a backside of being new. That is, there is an old idea aspect. As well as being new, the old aspect is that we are dead to something. Being dead to something is a life-transforming revelation. Being a new creation speaks of being free from the nature of sin. But on the backside, there is being free from his, his things, his, his views, his, his thoughts. Dead, that is, to the devil's kingdom. Dead to the old. Or you could say dead to the world of darkness and evil. Today in life now, this would not sound positive to many Christian churches. But it is God's plan for the Christian to become focused on him. This set of scriptures starts out with the condition if, that which we must ask ourselves, are we raised with Christ? If your answer is yes, I am, well then, we must then start heading towards the selecting and obeying the command to start to seek the things of God or change our focus. The third verse here is explaining why we need to change our focus. We're dead. We are really dead. Yes, not only are we alive, born again, new creations, but the statement being dead is to show us how to become and turn our place of changing our focus. Look at these other verses about being dead. Romans 6, 2. By no means, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Dead, yes, to sin. And by this verse, we are called to make this conclusion. Dead to sin, no longer living in or together with sin's actions, focused on God and his things. 
Romans 6, 8. Now, if we are dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Dead with Christ. Our Savior died for us and with us, and then the end result, we will be living with him. Romans 6, 11. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Consider yourselves dead. Even though this thought of dead to sin is a spiritual truth or even a fact, our outward man is really not dead. In reality, it is our flesh. It is really functionally capable of producing actions in our lives. And to gain the control of our outward man, we have to view life accurately. Or as in a battle, standing behind a strong rampart. Ramparts in battle were meant to be a fortified barrier to stand behind while engaging enemies in battle. In the Christian's life, our ramparts are our views in our heart. We can call these views or ramparts the barrier of truth in our views between us and the enemies that we have. And in Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is an enemy or a hostile one to God and us. Notice Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither it can be. EBM. Because that the views of the flesh are hostility to God, for it is not being submissive to the law of God, nor can it be. We must be working on changing the views of our inward man, which in turn gives us and enables us to take control in battle of the flesh's nature of death. The flesh is still sinful. The thoughts of our minds are, are being affected and our actions are being affected. And also these thoughts of the fleshly nature getting inside of us or staying inside of us will make up inside of us how we view life. You could say thinking on something long enough will lend itself towards what we call a mindset, which is setting our views or having a set of views of something. You could call these views functional views or views in which we are enabled or disabled to have spiritual logic in our mindsets. We need to define the idea of the mind. We need to define the idea of its thoughts and also what a mindset is. First, God's word tells us that we are born from above, having new qualities in our new birth. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, new qualities. Our minds were opened, as 2 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, unveiled. We need to examine this thought for a moment. Notice these verses, 2 Corinthians 3.15 and 16. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when one, that is their heart, turns to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Rotherham quotes it this way. But until this day, whensoever Moses is read, a veil upon their heart does lie. However... Whensoever he, that is the heart person, turns unto the Lord, he takes away off the veil. EBM says, But until this present day, whenever Moses might be read, a veil lies upon their heart. But at which time, if ever the heart might turn to the Lord, the veil enveloping it shall be taken away. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, it tells us that the heart of the Old Testament saints and all unborn again people have a heart problem. There is a veil or a covering effect of spiritual death upon the human spirit inside of everyone. So if we turn to the Lord in salvation, God's word tells us the veil is annulled. The veil is taken away or taken off of our hearts. And as 2 Corinthians also tells us in the 14th verse, 
This veil upon the heart equals blind thoughts of our mind. Acts 16.14 says, And a certain woman by the name of Lydia, a seller of purple, and of the city of Thyatira, devout or worshiping God, was hearkening whose heart the Lord fully opened, to be given heed unto the things being spoken by Paul. Luke 24.45 Then he opened their understanding, or their heart, or their mind, that they might understand the scriptures. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given unto us a spirit of fear, or a spirit of a coward, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. If we look at what Acts 16.14 tells us, this woman's heart was opened by the Lord. And the word for open in the Greek text beneath this English translation is dianoixin, the aorist indicative active third person noun coming from the Greek word dianoigo, meaning thoroughly opening or completely opening. We then can come to this truth given to us by this verse about the mind or our thoughts. If the heart is unveiled, then the results will be the thoughts of our mind will stop to be blinded. Well, of course, that means the thoughts which are being thought from that point forward. But what was already in your thought life before this opening has happened or this thorough opening state happens, these thoughts are already in your mind. Also note what 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us also. God did not give to us a spirit of fear or a spirit of a coward, but he did give us a spirit of power, love, and notice what it says, and of a sound mind. We are talking about spirit qualities. He gave to us, and it says you didn't have a spirit of this, but he gave you spirit qualities of power and love and a sound mind by that verse. If God gave to us in the new birth power, then we must establish this truth in our lives and in our hearts, like thir Hebrews 13, 9 tells us. By our confessions, we establish things in us.